This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. Harvey Araton is one of New York's and the nation's best-known sports journalists, having covered thousands of Knicks games over the course of a long and distinguished career. But the person at the heart of our last season, a writer, a fan, a friendship, is Michelle Musser, a fan who was largely anonymous, except, that is, to the players, coaches, and writers who passed through Madison Square Garden. Musler had held season tickets behind the Knicks bench and missed only a few games over the course of 45 years, becoming as big a staple at the Garden as Spike Lee. She and Araton formed an extraordinary friendship during hours spent at the arena. Araton reporting on the latest matchup and Musler cheering on the team, always in her seat and never late. Basketball is the foundation for Araton and Musler's story. But our last season is a universal narrative of the bittersweet moments of transition we all experience and the special people we entrust to help us get through them. Howard Vieraton, longtime New York City sports journalist, worked for 25 years at the New York Times, to which he still contributes. He's the author, co-author of seven books, most recently Driving Mr. Yogi, which was a New York Times bestseller. His book, When the Garden Was Eden, was made into an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, which Araton co-produced. In 2017, he received the Kurt Gowdy Media Award from the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Makes his home in Montclair, New Jersey. Happy to have our Harvey Araton join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Harvey, welcome to this program. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Why this book for you, Harvey? Well, Steve, I think, you know, you get to a certain point in life and career where you become very reflective uh, of, uh, of all the years spent, uh, you know, the identity that you we tend to define ourselves by perhaps even too much uh in my case uh when i left the times in 2016 um i was still doing a lot of freelance uh but by the 2017-18 season uh it was starting to slow down i was starting to look in other directions do some other things at the same time my dear friend michelle who actually started off as you know, more of a source behind the bench, my eyes and ears, and it kind of grew into a, a deep friendship and, in many respects, mentorship. She was something of a life coach slash therapist for me. Um, her health began to deteriorate, and so the 2017-18 season was one that was very different. It was away from, uh, for the most part, away from Madison Square Garden, the place where our friendship uh, began and, and thrived for so many years, decades, actually. And um, in, in wanting to, uh, in, think, in considering the book, um, you know, I wanted, uh, I never thought of myself as the kind of brand journalist uh, who would sit down someday and write a memoir recounting all the wars that I had been through. Um, more so, I considered myself a storyteller, you know, who wanted to present a narrative to readers, uh, again, beyond my own personal situation. And by uh, writing a sort of a quasi-memoir, but using the, the friendship with Michelle as a vehicle to explore it, I thought would be something different and unique. And uh, there are many themes running through the book, you know, whether it's, um, you know, mutual love of basketball, uh, you know, uh, everything that went into the friendship, mentorship. Um, but the one that, you know, intrigued me the most was the sense of aging and and again exploring that 
that sense of loss of identity, uh, the feeling of the questions we, we ask ourselves as we age, you know, who am I and uh, what makes me relevant now that I no longer do what I did for so many years. So what was Michelle like, Harvey? Well, Michelle, I used to joke with her and say, you know, back when I was, when, when our friendship was fairly new and I began to, she be, we began to confide in each other. She was about 17 years older than I am. Um, and um, the more I learned about her, the more I used to say to her, Michelle, your life story is a book. And she would just laugh and wave me off. But the truth of the matter is she was an extraordinary woman. Um, she came out of a blue-collar home in, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, she was the high school, she was the editor and sports editor and reporter on our high school newspaper and dreamed of being a sports journalist when she was young. But of course, that was the late 1940s and there was no real pathway for a female to get into sports journalism back then. Uh, so Michelle went to college. Uh, she graduated and sort of went the conventional route. She had five children in less than a decade and settled into semi-affluent uh, suburban life in Stanford, Connecticut. But her marriage fell apart and her husband left and left her with five young children with no career and no way to support them. Uh, they kind of sunk into poverty for a while. and um, But she began to... Uh, she launched a career in, in human resources uh, and worked her way up the corporate ladder to the point where, uh, at the, in the prime of her career, she had her own one-woman company where she would travel all over the world, hired by various corporations to go work with troubled corporate executives. And, um, and that's where the, you know, the component of her becoming my kind of career coach as I go through my career and deal with the ups and downs and the things that, you know, required some real soul searching. Um, she was really my source of, of comfort and, uh, and guidance. Uh, so, you know, a remarkable woman uh, who rebuilt her social life. She felt that she didn't fit in socially as a divorced mother of five in, in the suburbs, who kind of rebuilt her social life around that Madison Square Garden, uh, Nick's uh, courtside uh, area, uh, and wound up assimilating into that whole world. She knew the players, the, the wives, the girlfriends, the team executives, the broadcasters. I mean, Throughout this book, the names that I drop in with the little stories to complement our story, the story of our friendship, range from Willis Reed to Patrick Ewing to Walt Frazier to Mike Breed and Jeff Van Gundy and Pat Riley and all the others. Harvey, why do you think she was so attracted to the Knicks? What was so appealing about the Knicks for her? Well, she loved basketball. Her younger brother was a pretty good player. Uh, she used to trail after him uh, to the schoolyard. She wasn't an athlete herself, but she just always said there was something about the sport of basketball that attracted her. She used to explain it to me, you know, that the players are so visible. Uh, they're wearing almost nothing. They, uh, you can see their faces. You can get close as close to the basketball game as she wound up doing at the Garden, spending a fair amount of money to do so. Um, but you could get so close to them that you could almost feel like part of the action. I mean, courtside in any NBA arena is probably the most intimate setting for a fan in all of sports. Uh, and uh, that's what she loved the most. And it wasn't so much that she was 
an X's and O's kind of fan breaking down the game like some analytics specialist. She loved the human drama, the interaction, uh, you know, the, the way the players responded to pressure, their backstories. I mean, that's what she did for a living. She was a tremendous people person, which helped her create these relationships at the Garden, but she loves observing the players from up close. Um, you know, she used to fill me in on how players were responding to Pat Riley. Did they look him in the eye? Did they throw their, their warm-up jacket down when they got pulled from the game? She loved that, and she established these relationships. I mean, she would bring players, you know, young players who were new in New York and didn't have any family here. She'd bring them home to her, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve dinners with her family. Um, she would meet them for lunch. Uh, she just had a knack for connecting with people, and uh, and that was really the genesis of my friendship with her. She also loved what what sports journalists did for a living because, frankly, she wanted she once upon a time she had wanted to be one. But she could care less about being in the spotlight and celebrities, right? She uh, she didn't, you know, she liked um, she 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 loved having a presence at courtside. Uh, sort of a behind-the-scenes, literally seated behind her guys, right? You know, there was a sort of a symbolic essence to that. Uh, unlike Spike Lee sitting across the court where, you know, in the first row where he, you know, which was not obscured by the bench, and obviously Spike, a famous film director, you know, was helping with his brand by being out there, especially during the 90s when the Knicks were good and they were constantly challenging the likes of Michael Jordan for the, you know, to, for the uh, opportunity to get to the NBA Finals. Um, Michelle was, you know, the story I like to tell about her uh, that I think captures who she was was actually told to me by Jeff Van Gundy after Michelle passed away in uh, June of 2018. He said that uh, many times he would come out, and of course Jeff was the was the polar opposite of Pat Riley, who was always impeccably dressed in his Armani suits and with every hair in place. And Jeff would come out, he was kind of congenitally rumpled, right? And Michelle would step up before a game as the players were warming up, and Jeff would come out, and she would just step up, fix his crooked sport jacket collar, and sit back down without saying a word. That was, that was in effect, who Michelle was. She was a quiet, thoughtful and considerate presence around around the Knicks bench for not only the players, but also a lot of the other fans who sat there, ranging from anonymous business people to Bob Iger, the head of Disney, uh, you know, other retired players like Charles Oakley, who had come to the games before he actually got arrested at the Garden a couple of years ago. Um, that's a whole other story, of yes. course, that many people will be familiar with. Um, but that was who Michelle was, and that's who she wanted to be. She didn't want to be – she resented the fans who were there just to be seen and were on their cell phones saying, Spike Lee's sitting next to me, or, you know, uh, or Ethan Hawke is here tonight. She wasn't that kind of fan. She was there for the games and the people who played and observed them. In our remaining moments with uh, Harvey Araton, his book is Our Last Season, a writer, a fan, a friendship, talking about his late friend Michelle Musler. She was also a life coach for you, too. Didn't she sign off on your wife at one point? Well, she was, you know, the friendship grew. It started as, you know, a sort of a mutual love of basketball and our connection. And some of the stories, I mean, she even helped me break a couple of stories that, tips that she had picked up from players' wives about, you know, a free agent signing the Knicks were 
going to going to make in the coming weeks or whatever. Um, but the friendship grew to something really special, and um, you know, I was in a troubled relationship when I first met Michelle, and she helped me kind of extricate myself from it. And when I met my wife, uh, and um, or the woman who would be my wife, it turns out that she was from Greenwich, Connecticut, which was just a couple of exits on the Merritt Parkway from where Michelle lived. So, you know, we began to invite her to uh, my in-laws' family dinners, and I would attend her family dinners with my wife. And so, you know, in times where I was a little uncertain, am I ready to get married? Am I ready to commit to this, you know, forever thing? Um Michelle was one person who said, if you don't marry her, I will kill you, because she loved my wife. She thought she was charming and beautiful and open, and, um, you know, she just recognized some hesitance in me. And, you know, but those were the kinds of things that I could sit and talk to her about. Uh, It was much more than, you know, a, a typical friendship. It was probably the most unique and precious friendship, other than my wife, that I've ever had, really. Harvey, what was her lasting impact on you? I think, um, you know, I had a tendency as a young man on into middle age to kind of be really hard on myself. I didn't grow up with a lot of academic support at home. I came from a blue-collar family, and there wasn't a real sense of upward mobility. And so, you know, sometimes when you don't have that support, you don't have parents telling you, no, you can do it, no, you're good, um, you know, who were, and it wasn't that they didn't care. It was just that they weren't, they didn't live in that kind of world, particularly a highly competitive journalism world that I wound up, you know, in some respects in a serendipitous way falling into. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that Michelle really helped me most with appreci- learning to appreciate what I had and to see the glass as half full as opposed to half empty or even three quarters full as opposed to, you know, um, as opposed to the opposite. She just, she was a person who, despite the tough odds that she had to deal with, you know, particularly early in her uh, adult life with the five children and all that, she, it wasn't that she didn't struggle, it wasn't that she didn't have doubts, but she just developed um, a strong will to push through. And because of the experiences that she had, not just with me, but with other friends, she was kind of like a bull in a china shop with us when we began to feel sorry for for ourselves. She just wouldn't accept that. And when I had those periods in my personal life and my career, sometimes you need someone to just not tolerate that kind of self-pity. And I think the fact that, and I, and I, always, I respected, so I knew a personal story, so I had so much respect for what she had achieved that in many respects it helped lift me and face some of the challenges that I encountered that we, you know, we write, we talk about in the book. This is a terrific book. It's called Our Last Season, A Writer, A Fan, A Friendship by Harvey Araton, the New York Times bestselling author of Driving Mr. Yogi. Harvey, thank you so much for joining me. Steve, it was a pleasure, and I thank you for your interest in the book. I appreciate that. And this is Speaking of Writers.